Welcome to Aphesis Church Podcast Channel. If you're in Columbia, South Carolina area, we would love to get to know you better and for you to experience what Aphesis is all about. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at aphesischurch.com. It is our prayer that this message truly speaks to you. God bless. Let's open up to Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 through 4. We'll spend some time here today in the book of Genesis, uh, probably going back and forth between 10 and 11. Uh, so if you want to bookmark those. It says, now the whole earth, reading in verse 1, now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. And they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. Um, don't uh, uh, pass over the fact that what, what you're reading here is <clears throat> a note in the Bible about technology, ancient technology. <clears throat> and that's going to be important for what I'll mention here as I go on in the in the lesson, but um, for the sake of definitions, technology is the application of knowledge for practical purposes. The application of knowledge for practical purposes, okay? So what you're reading in, in verse three is uh, the people inventing something in order to uh, improve their lives, if you will, to, to have some type of practical use. Uh, and they use their knowledge of, you know, how to make bricks, for example, in order to build those things. So don't, don't pass over that fact. That's going to be important. Um, so come let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. Uh, and then continue on. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Uh, with the Lord's help, my subject today is beware the barren spirit, and as we say in, in uh, the West, uh, the barren spirit of Babel. A barren spirit of Babel. Beware the barren spirit of Babel. Uh, I mean, let's be seated today. Um, I want to talk today about something that uh, perhaps touches all of us. Um, some of us wear this thing proudly, um, and some of us don't know that we're wearing this thing, this, this spirit, if you will, this influence. And what I'm talking about is pride. And of course, we know that this month is, uh, is Pride Month in the U.S., um, some countries are looking at us during this month and during this time, and they're just shaking their heads like, wow, you know, how far have you fallen? Oh, you know, once great nation, um, because of the things that we've decided to dabble in, the things we've decided as a country to, uh, uh to accept the things we've decided to allow. Um, there's a whole organization devoted to, uh, um, what they call man boy love. Okay, where men who are attracted to young boys can have relationships with them. There's a whole organization dedicated and advocating for that to happen, for that to be. And, and, I, and I see the faces uh, because I'm, I'm there with you. It's disgusting. Yeah. 
it's disgusting. But what we what we're finding ourselves in in the nation in the, the situation that we're finding ourselves in is a nation full of pride, man's pride. Um, and I and I hope to get into some of that thing, some of that stuff today. But but I want you to know today that pride leads to barrenness, and overconfidence in man-made technology results in confusion. Pride leads to barrenness, and overconfidence in man-made technology results in confusion. This warning this morning is to, to, to everybody, ministers, uh, churches, saints, um, world powers. It, it, it's a warning to everybody. Beware of this spirit. Beware of this, this barren spirit. This spirit does not lead to any good works for God. Um, it leads to unrighteousness. This spirit leads to um, the inability to produce um, like I said, good works for God. It leads to um, a, a, a confusion or a confounding, if you will. Uh, just rampant, rampant confusion and rampant confounding and rampant um, uh, unrighteousness. So, but barrenness, as I've mentioned here, is the inability, the inability to produce. Of course, we know that there were people all throughout the Bible who in the physical sense could not produce children. They were considered barren. Um, we also know that uh, uh, one woman in particular prayed and God uh, healed her barrenness. A, a few women, in fact, God healed them of their barrenness and they were able to produce a child. But here, um, I, what I'm mostly speaking of is not so much the inability to produce in the physical sense, but the inability to produce spiritually um, and how pride can prevent us from producing spiritual things, spiritual fruit, uh, the fruits of the spirit. And if you want to know what those are, just ask Levi. He can quote them for you. Um, uh, something I'm proud of. <laughs> and and uh, there's a difference, right? There's a difference between um, having sort of a Holy Ghost pride and what I, you know, a couple couple weeks ago, we were able to celebrate our fathers. We were able to celebrate our mothers. And we saw our children on the, on the video talking about the things that they, that they have recognized about us as parents and things that, that, uh, that they know that we say, for example, on a frequent basis. And, and there's, a, there's a little bit of pride that wells up in you when you hear that. Right. I'm not talking about that. I'm not beating that down. Um, if you're raising your children correctly. And in the fear and admonition of the Lord, that is something to be proud of. That is something to celebrate. That is something um, that you should uh, should uh, boast about. Holy Ghost boast about. Amen. <laughs> um, and it's not because of anything necessarily that you're doing, but out of the overflow and the outflow of God working in you, giving you the tools to be a wise steward of those children. Then those children are growing up and having the ability to grow up and be uh, righteous before God. But, you know, a, a little competition is healthy. Can I just say that? A little competition is healthy. Why? Because it helps us to uh, uh, improve ourselves. Um, if we see, it's talking in the sports realm, if we see, you know, your point guard shooting and he, he's he got a 80% accuracy, his, all of his balls go in, you know, you're shooting at a 65%. You want to know, what is this guy doing? to be shooting and you're gonna, you're gonna strive to improve yourself. So a, a little competition is okay. Again, I'm talking about more so this pride that leads to us being unable to produce righteous fruit or spiritual fruit. But when you ask yourself what's behind the agenda, for example, of redefining what a human is, 
What's behind this transhumanist agenda to make us think that we somehow can transcend what God has created? And by the way, this is no new thing, right? Uh, there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, we know that the sons of God in, in the uh, earlier part of Genesis um, and the whole reason why the flood came about, which leads up to what we're going to talk about today. But the whole reason why the flood came about is because what they were doing with God's creation, changing the very nature and very DNA of what God had intended and what God had created, altering, if you will, um, and, and operating in this vein of transhumanism. We've, so, we've somehow transcended what God has called normal human beings. But the spirit that is behind this is pride. It's pride. It's an overconfidence in man's technology, man's ability to create things and to do things with the wisdom and the knowledge that they have. What's behind the agenda for redefining what male and female is? Pride. We're in that month. You know, you, this, is a, this is a nation where you can do and be whatever you want to. If you want to be a horse today, by golly, you know, you can identify as a horse. Um, if you want to be a, if you're a black man and you want to be a white man, you can identify as a white man. If you're a white man, and you want to be a black man, you can identify as a black man. You can, you can do whatever you want to in this world. It's, it's up to you. Do you boo, as they say. It's up to you. What's behind the agenda of promoting? And I don't know how many of us are following this or paying attention, but we probably should be. What's the idea behind the agenda of promoting artificial intelligence and these technologies like chat GPT. It's pride. It's pride. And the, the reason I say that is because where these technologies are going is a little uh, alarming um, uh, uh, to me. And it's kind of, um, you know, we should really be, really be cautious and aware because when you, when you look at how AI and this chat, GP, chat GPT stuff is going. There are people, researchers, asking and probing this technology with questions like, what would you do if you were God? Now they're asking a computer technology this question. What would you do if you were God? They're asking questions like, uh, expound on the story of Satan in the Bible. Okay? And what the algorithm is doing is coming up with these, with this information by pulling together and piecing together different things, putting all of these things together in order to spit out an answer and is doing this with such a rapid pace. I mean, you can, you can literally uh, ask this thing, ask these things a question and get a query back within seconds. You can get, you can get it to write your entire essay. I mean, it's getting ready to change the way school functions. Write me an essay on, on, uh, on barrenness and, uh, and the associated uh, or the relationship between barrenness and humanity, the relationship between barrenness and biblical teachings, and it will do it for you. It can write you an essay, and then you just, you know, you just kind of turn it in and take credit for it. But the danger in all of this is because where does, the question that comes to, to my mind is, where does the creator end, the creator of these products, and the creation begin? Because you got to understand, AI is, is uh, it's an algorithm, right? And what they, what, it's in the name, artificial intelligence. So then you have to ask yourself, well, whose intelligence is it producing? So where does the creator end? The, the, the person, the entities, the, the, the institutions that are creating these things, where do they end? 
And what does the creation begin? Whose, if I could say it this way, whose knowledge are we accepting and receiving? Whose knowledge are we accepting and receiving? It would be awesome if the church had the mindset, where does the creator begin and what is the creation or what is the creator in and what does the creation begin? If we could be so like God, not in the sense that we have autonomy and, uh, and free will to just do whatever we want to, but in the sense that we speak what he speaks. We say what he says. We do what he wants us to do, right? That's the type of relationship they're trying to create with these, with these systems. And so this pride is a feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievements. One's own achievements. So from our opening scripture, Genesis 11, 1 through 4, the story continues with God laying out a plan to confuse the singular language of the people and then by carrying out this plan. Let's read in Genesis chapter 11, verse 6. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. God recognized in his wisdom that this was only the beginning. Do we believe that God transcends time? Yes. Do we believe that God is omniscient? He's all-knowing? Yes. So God can be there, the Tower of Babel, looking at what they're doing, and also here looking at what we're doing today and saying this here in this situation, this is just the beginning of all that they plan to do, of all that they could potentially do. Continuing on, Genesis chapter 11, verse 7 through 8. God speaking, come let us go down and therefore confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. Verse 8. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Now, as I'm reading this, and maybe you've asked yourself these same questions, why confuse the language? Why confuse the communication apparatus? Why not just destroy the bricks? Why not just, you know, make it so they weren't able to make bricks and, and, and mortar? Why not do that? Why not send, you know, uh, and we know the answer to this, but why not just send another flood? Well, he promised he wouldn't, right? Why not just wipe them out again? God, you've done it before. Why confuse the, why confuse the language? Why not just destroy the people? Well, he promised he wouldn't, he wouldn't uh, destroy. There wouldn't be a mass extinction uh, of people anymore, but he's going to work to create a remnant. Amen. Thank God for the church. Amen. But, but why not just, why not just um, do these things? Why confuse the language? Um, I think it's because, you know, the one thing that man's technology is attempting to do is to help us speak one language. When you look at um, what goes into the, the, the creation of an algorithm, what is it, ones and zeros? This is the universal language that all technology speaks. Ones and zeros, you can plug it in, you can put in different algorithms, different things like that. Genesis, Genesis 11, 9, I think that God, God uh, understood that in order to stop the people, he had to stop their primary form of communication, the language. He had to confuse the language. He had to confound the language in order to get them to realize what their purpose actually was because they were, they were out of his will. And we'll get to that, but they were out of his will. 
They were out of what God had already uh, instructed them to do. Genesis chapter 11, verse 9. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. He scattered them in order for them to take dominion over the earth. If you remember in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, he said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. He wanted them to have dominion. And if you think, <laughs> if you think this is just dominion in the sense that, you know, uh, and I've got power over, over roaches. You know, I've got power over bugs that make it into my house. You know, a beetle comes in. I can step it and stomp on it. I can take, you know, there was a fly got into our house yesterday. And I took that, um, we, uh, we've got those uh, fly swatters. Yeah, but no, we light them up. Yeah. yeah, we light them up. You know, when you hit them and it, it sizzles a little bit. You know what I'm talking about? We don't, the electric one, we don't have that normal fly swatter. No, 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 no. I exercise my dominion. And when I swat a fly, it sizzles and my wife she can't stand it because I, I you know I'll just me and the boys we kind of make it's fun to us we'll just press that button and just watch it go you know and it starts to smoke a little bit and she just comes in the room and just shake her head and just leave you know she can't stand the smell I don't smell nothing you know <laughs> but I exercise my dominion that's not what he's talking about here you understand that the Bible is answering uh, is providing answers to people who were already steep in pagan, there, there were pagan uh, uh, spirits and pagan religions on the earth, pagan things on the earth. Abraham and uh, his father, Terah, uh, Tehran, they came from uh, uh, pagan religions. So what I believe is, is, is the Bible is telling us when God says have dominion over the sea, uh, of the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, a lot of these small g gods were depicted in the form of animals, creatures, fish, birds, right? Uh, gods with wings, these things. What I believe God is telling his people, you are responsible for having dominion over these things. This is your purpose on this earth. We are not, we are not, especially here in the church, in the church age, we are not to succumb to these, uh, these gods. We are not to bow down to these gods and create images of these gods. We are to have dominion. That's our purpose. We are what, more than conquerors through Christ. We are victorious, right? That's just not being victorious over sin. That's talking about being victorious over the, the, the spirits and the principalities that exist in this world. Oh, that we would, we would get to the point where we as a church realize our purpose. We as the people of God, the children of God, realize more and more our purpose. Thank God that he brought us out of sin. Thank God that he gives us the victory. Thank God that he gives us wisdom to be able to, to go about this earth. But it doesn't just stop there. We are destined and designed to have dominion over this earth and over the gods, the small g gods of this world. But since the Tower of Babel, humanity has sought to speak and communicate again in one language through technological advances. God in his wisdom saw this and knew that if humanity succeeded in speaking a unified earthly tongue, a unified earthly tongue, nothing would be kept from them. 
Today we are standing on the precipice of being able to experience whatever we want with little to no earthly consequences. And they're trying to make us all speak one language. If I go back to my, my analogy about AI, the problem here is if we, we don't know, we still don't know, and I don't know if we ever will know, we don't know how these systems are querying this data and what they're doing with it. Is the algorithm based on popularity? For example, if I ask a question and, and a million other people ask the same question, does that become the predominant or the dominant answer to the question? Are you following me? If I ask the question, what is sin? And the popular answer is there is no such thing. What are we doing to our people? If I ask the question, what is marriage? And the popular answer is marriage can be whatever you want it to be. What, what, so that's, the, that's one of the dangers of, this, of these systems. If it, if it can produce one answer, right? Robots, AI, it's designed to be as efficient as possible. If it can produce one answer that everybody can accept, then that's the, that's the path of least resistance. That's what it's going to give you. And that there's, there's danger in there. So we have to be careful. We have to be careful and we have to know that what is, what is behind this is human, humanity's pride to once again build and create one language for all of us to speak. One thing, one idea, one philosophy that all of us can accept and live with. And I can promise you it's not God's philosophy. It's man's philosophy, man's knowledge, man's wisdom, and those things. So three reasons why Babel was constructed. They tell us in verse 11, uh, chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. I'm sorry. They tell us in chapter 11, verse 4, number one, they wanted to reach the heavens. They wanted to make a name for themselves, and they did not want to be scattered. That's why it was constructed. Three reasons why it was halted. They wanted to reach heaven. <laughs> you can't get to heaven unless God saves you and welcomes you and invites you in. Okay. The second reason why I was halted, because they wanted to make a name for themselves. He has a name that is above every name. It doesn't matter how many, how many buildings you got across the state of South Carolina or otherwise. God's name is the name that is the name that is above every name. It doesn't matter if I've got my name on 50 million buildings, you know, <laughs> I will say something. It doesn't matter. God's name is above every name. So when we get to the place where, and man, I tell you what, <laughs> build, build, build your enterprise for your family. Um, uh, you, you, you can do that. But beware of this barren spirit of pride. Look at what I have done. Look at what, isn't that what they said? Look at what, let us make a name for ourselves. Never mind the name of God. Never mind the power of, of that name. Let's just make us make a name for ourselves. We're going to stamp our name on this building. We're going to stamp our name on this construction. We're going to stamp our name on this technology. We're going to stamp our name on this philosophy. Let us make a name for ourselves. So that was the second reason why I was halted. Number three, they did not want to be scattered. 
Again, we've already talked about that. He told them to be fruitful and multiply, not to live a sedentary and complacent life. Come on, somebody. He told them to be fruitful and multiply, not to live a sedentary and complacent life. Now, notice, though, that God did not destroy the people. He did not destroy the people, and he did not destroy the building. He did, however, confuse the people, and he buffeted their ability to produce he buffeted their ability to produce. We got to understand that pride is older than sin. Pride is older than sin. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride comes before destruction and the haughty spirit before the fall. Um, we know that uh, it was Satan who became so full of himself that he said, I will be like God. I will ascend the throne. I will be, what is that? Pride. Pride is older than sin. The urge of fame, the urge for fame, achievement, independence, and self-sufficiency is older than humanity. Jesus said in Luke 10, 18, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. What came before the fall? Pride. Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. We're going to read this one. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Of course, we know um, this is the prophet speaking to a king, but this king has been possessed by the spirit that I'm speaking of today, the spirit of pride. How? How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down from the ground, you who weaken the nations? For you have said in your heart, what? I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. It sounds like he's building a tower, doesn't it? What's behind this? Pride. 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 This barren spirit. You know, although God confounded and confused the languages, it is plausible to believe that a group of people remained in the area and continue to build the tower because history teaches us and tells us that um, the tower, this tower was perhaps a, um, a model, if you will, of what would later become in Babylon known as a ziggurat, a ziggurat. And a ziggurat was a, uh, a, a stair-step tower that the Babylonians would build in honor of their king, in honor of their deity, in order to reach the stars, to reach the heavens, to make themselves as high and haughty as, <laughs> as possible. So it's not, it's, not, it's not hard to believe that there were a few people that remained in this area. If you could still speak the same language, hey, let's do what we can. It was probably slower, it was a slower process, but it's not hard to believe that they continued to build in this area. And we know that we're going to go to verse, we're going to go to chapter 10. We know that because of chapter 10. Genesis chapter 10 is a foreshadowing of Genesis chapter 11. And we know this because chapter 10 begins with a genealogy and a few specific verses use language to suggest that the people were already divided. So how can you be divided in chapter 10, but then have one language in chapter 11? What the Bible is doing, and it does this often, is that you'll use one chapter 
from a liter literary uh, uh, standpoint, it'll use one chapter to foreshadow things to come. So it'll give you all of this upfront information, and then the next chapter you go, you go diving into, uh, into actually what happened. How did they become divided in chapter 10? So they were already divided. Uh, let, let's just read uh, Genesis chapter 10, verse 5. By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands, every one after his tongue, after their families, in their nations, uh, and then so on and so forth. Genesis chapter 11 is where we get, but Genesis chapter 11 is where we get the story of Babel. Um, and this begins by saying that the people had one language. And in fact, the story of Babel is a break in the narrative because in Genesis chapter 11, verse 10, the genealogy continues with Shem leading all the way up to Abram. You can go back and read that, read that later. Let's read Genesis chapter 10, verse 1. Now, these are the generations of the sons of Noah. I want to talk about one guy in particular. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And unto them were sons born after the flood. So all of this is happening after the flood. God has already destroyed the people once. And, and, and if I could say this, it was really an air of grace that he didn't destroy them a second time for being disobedient here in them trying to build their tower. Uh, verse 6, and the sons of Ham, Cush. Don't read anything else. The sons of Ham, Cush. Jump down to verse 8. And Cush begot Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. I did that for a reason, because when you read, if you read um, uh, verse 7, Cush, the, the, the lineage of Cush is named out. But then the Bible pulls out one particular son of Cush, whose name is Nimrod. It pulls him out and gives him his own little paragraph. It gives him his own little paragraph, and it says, it says that he was a, he began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was so special that his birth announcement was separated from all the other sons of Cush. He was so special. He was such a mighty man, uh, and in fact, some believe that he wasn't just a mighty man. He was the first hunter after the flood, the first person to actually hunt and kill and murder after the flood. He was the first hunter. And of course, we know this, this occupation of hunting, the root behind it all, you know, yes, it's pride, but it's also a spirit of conquering, right? If I can go into a territory and hunt um, for my family, hunt for, for sport, for game, right? What, what's the biggest buck I can kill today? What's the biggest buck I can, I can hang on my wall? What is that? What's behind it? It's pride. Trophies. So he was the first one, the first mighty one, after the flood. Look at Genesis chapter 10, verses 10 through 11. Still talking about Nimrod. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, or Babel. And Eric, and Akkad, and Kalna, in the land of Shinar, out of that land went forth Asher, which is Assyria, and he built it Nineveh and the city of Rehoboth and Kala, 
Why did I mention those, those cities? Why did I mention those things? Because the Bible is telling us exactly who Nimrod is. If you, if you noticed, many of these nations and these cities within cities that he built were a thorn in the people of God, in the side of the people of God, and still are, and still are a thorn in their side. So this mighty man, possessed by the spirit of pride, he went into Babel, stuff happened there, they spread out, he built Assyria, he built Nineveh, man, that mighty city that we know Jonah later prophesied against, didn't want to go there, Jonah hated the people in Nineveh so much, he would rather <laughs> be swallowed by a big fish than go in and preach to these people. He would rather disobey God than go and face the Ninevites, the people from Nineveh. Think about that. These people were, these, these, <laughs> these were not uh, uh, people to, that you would want to pick a fight with. But these were people that had some deep-seated, uh, deep-seated unrighteousness and sin that, I mean, it just, the man of God, I can't go there, God. You got to send somebody else. You're going to have to kill me. I ain't going. Right? Of course, but we know God, God will ultimately have his way. But again, even with Nineveh, God gives them an air of grace because of, he could have destroyed them. Just like he could have destroyed their ancestors, their, their um, progenitors, he could have destroyed them, but he didn't. He just confused the language so that they can scatter and go abroad, scatter out. But he, here in, in, uh, in Jonah, he gave them grace because they repented of their sin. So all of these peoples, these lands, stem from Nimrod. They stem from Nimrod, this one dude possessed with a spirit of pride. Pride can cause you to build some things that are anti-God, anti-Christ. And so when I speak of it being a barren spirit, again, it's because it doesn't produce things that are righteous. It doesn't produce things that, are, uh, that God is in favor of. But God is against these things. God is against these nations, Assyria, Nineveh, and some of these other ones that were named. So the barren spirit of Babel does not produce good works toward God. The barren spirit of Babel is self-consumed. The barren spirit of Babel lacks the ability to conceive like a bride that has not known her husband. You know, in order for a child to be born, a man and a woman have to come together. We know that. In order for righteous things to be born, God and his bride have to come together in order to produce spiritual fruit. But the most compelling part about the story of this tower is not the tower itself. We can look at it and go, man, that's such a, a great feat of human ingenuity. But that's not, that's not what we should be proud of there. Um, or that's not what we should be interested in. But rather, we should be aware and beware of this barren spirit behind why the people sought to build the tower in the first place. And this was a spirit, of course, of pride. This is a, 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 a contagious spirit. The spirit is unassuming. 
The spirit sometimes works quietly in our lives. But as I said it earlier, sometimes the spirit is overt and we we are okay with the pride that we carry. Look at all the yachts I have. Look at all the, the planes I have. Look at all the buildings with my name on it that I have. And we carry this with an air of pride. Look at all of the, let me make it more modern to us. I, I don't know how many of us in here own buildings besides Brother Floyd. Bless God, he's a, he's, he blesses the church with those buildings. And that's the difference. But, but some of us, uh, some of us to make it more modern, look at how many followers I have. You know, hundreds of thousands of people uh, listening to me and following me on my feed. I see somebody shaking their head like, I ain't got none. <laughs> uh, it's pride. Pride is behind these things. The spirit preys upon us and many of us are unaware. Unaware. God talks about this in um, the New Testament as well. We see the same spirit show up and this is more relevant for us here today Romans chapter 1 verse 26 through 32 Romans chapter 1 verse 26 to 32 for this reason for this reason God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature what reason is he talking about you go back and you read the earlier verses of Romans chapter one, it's because they served and worshiped the, cre cre the creature instead of the creator. They served and worshiped the creature instead of the creator. Romans chapter one, verse 27, continuing on, likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust uh, for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Verse 28. And when as they did not and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. God gave them over to a reduced mind, reduced to corruption immorality perversion he gave them over again there is grace in this narrative because rather than just destroy them he said okay since this is what you want to do go do it that's a dangerous spot to be in but I like how my wife put put it she said God made it seem to them as if their world was smaller than it actually was he reduced their mind so that that's all they can think about is evil. They reduced their mind so all they can think about is immorality. All they can think about is pleasure. What does that do? It makes it hard then for somebody with that mindset to be able to see the grace of God, to be able to see the love of God in different things, to be able to see the blessing of God on the lives of others, to be able to, it, it prevents them from being, a, being able to care for their neighbors which is all throughout the Bible for us to do from Genesis to Revelation. When you have a reduced mind, a debased mind, all you can think about is immorality, unrighteousness, evil, and the things then that you invent and you create will match what your mind is focused on. God reduced their thinking. Verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, 
wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. Disobedient to parent. You can't make this stuff up. This is in the word. And this is exactly what we're seeing in our world. Disobedient to parents. Undiscerning. Can't tell the truth from a lie. Untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death. They know that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Look at this. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Welcome to Pride Month. We approve of your lifestyle. We approve of what you're doing. But does God approve of what you're doing? And I hear a resounding no in that still small voice. No. No, I don't. No, I don't. But this reads like the biography of a primitive species. <laughs> Imagine a bunch of baby people who are narcissistic, self-centered, self-interested with the capacity to commit murder, fulfill perverted passions, and create diabolical inventions like viruses, self-aware AI, and tools to abort their own children. This list reads like a bunch of baby people running around who are only focused on themselves, who can only think about what they can do, what, what, what they can experience to bring about pleasure. Nobody wants to work anymore to put in a good, uh, a good effort and to actually produce a good product, but everybody wants to work so that they can go and experience pleasure because they've made this world their home not understanding and knowing that there is another world, there is another home for us that we have. So we may not be able to experience all the pleasures of this earth and thank God because this world is not our home. But this is what this reads like to me. So I want to close here. Does God want us to be confused and barren? No. He wants us to be of one mind. He does want us to be of one mind. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 10, now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Mm. In the same mind and in the same judgment. What are we approving? What are we putting the, 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 the biblical stamp on? What are, we, what are we saying is okay to experience and to, uh, mm, to do in this world? God wants us to be of one mind, and he wants us to be of the same judgment. This is a call to rally around what God wants, not what man wants. Let's rally around what he wants. I mentioned earlier how technology is trying to create and, 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 uh, and pushing us towards this one earthly tongue. 
thank God that he gave us the Holy Ghost so that we can speak a heavenly tongue. But not only outside of that, the heavenly, the other heavenly tongue we speak is his word. It may not sound like gibberish, understand what I'm saying, but when you begin to speak the word of God, you are speaking a heavenly language. <laughs> Do you believe that? Amen. First Peter, I'm closing here. First Peter five, let's all stand. First Peter five, five through seven. Likewise, you younger people, as they come in, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This was a quote from Proverbs 334. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Peter here warns the church to resist the devil. And if I could say it like this, he warns the church to beware the barren spirit of Babel. Be aware of this pride that enters in. Be aware of this spirit that will cause you to produce things that is not godly, that is not righteous. Because the remedy to pride is humility. That's the remedy. That's the remedy. We can be proud in what God is doing. But take no pride in what this world is doing. Take no pride in what you yourself are doing even in the flesh. Right? Especially if it leads to sin. But you can find yourself at an altar saying, God, mm, rid me of this pride. Rid me of this barren spirit that I might be able to fulfill what you want me to do. That I might be able to fulfill what you would have me to do. Amen. Lord, we love you. Thank you for this word, God. I pray that each and every one of us would leave this place, Lord, humbled in our spirit knowing that we serve a mighty God. God, and we give you the reins to our life, God. Whichever direction you want us to go as a people, as a church, as a body, as a home, in our homes, God, I pray that you would lead us in that way. Let us be aware of this barren spirit, God, this barren spirit of pride, pride in man's creation, pride in man's thoughts and man's philosophies, God. Give us discernment, not ignorance, God. Help us to be aware and to be vigilant, to walk circumspectly, as your word says, redeeming the times. I'll be sure to give you glory and honor. Somebody said in Jesus' name. If you were encouraged by this message and you would like to connect with Ephesus Church or you would like to get in contact with the leadership of this church, please visit EphesusChurch.com. Thank you for being a part 